Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the podcast each week, give these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The Healthcare Information and Management System Society Conference, or HIMSS as it's known, took place in Orlando, Florida this week. The opening and keynote session focused on health equity, stressing the importance for having affordable health care available to all around the globe. And also on the power of connecting people and how quickly technology has been advancing in all areas of our lives. During the week, Microsoft discussed some of their products that can play a part in healthcare, including Azure Health Data Services and updates to Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare. Azure Health Data Services is built for protected health information and brings together diverse data sets like clinical, imaging, and streaming data from medical devices in the cloud using global interoperability standards of fast healthcare interoperability resources and digital imaging communications in medicine. Azure Health Services ingests, manages, and transforms a combination of clinical, imaging, and medtech data and it provides a holistic view of the patient by unifying all three types of health data. Some of the new features announced that enhance patient and clinician experience of Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare includes new features in Teams for virtual appointments, including the ability for patients to request on-demand appointments with the provider and new analytics capabilities that give providers key insights into the performance of their virtual appointments. Enhanced clinical workflow integrations in Teams, including the general availability of the Teams EHR connector for Cerner, which enables clinicians to launch virtual appointments and consult with other providers in Teams directly from their health record system. There's also enhancements to Azure Health Bot templates, enabling organizations to quickly develop scenarios for self-reporting quality of life measurements and chronic condition management through virtual agents, as well as updates to the patient view, which provides insights into demographic and clinical patient information. At HIMSS, Salesforce announced it will expand its offerings for healthcare and life sciences companies with new enhancements for its Salesforce Customer 360 for Health. I don't think this one is necessarily new, it's probably just something that they re-emphasized given it was a healthcare setting, and it's something I discussed on a previous episode of the podcast. HealthcareITnews.com also reported that at HIMSS, GE Healthcare announced its intention to introduce the Edison Digital Health Platform, which is said to be a vendor-agnostic hosting and data aggregation platform with an integrated artificial intelligence engine. It said that IT departments are intended to benefit from this due to a one-time connection to multiple databases, 
such as the EHR, during the first integration, after which subsequent apps are expected to connect with less effort. With a vendor-agnostic platform, providers will be able to select best-in-class and preferred apps safely and securely without the typical requirement of multiple individual integrations or being locked into a single vendor. And this is being developed to enable hospitals and health systems to effectively deploy the clinical workflow analytics and AI tools that would support the improvement of care delivery. Also at HIMSS, I had the honor of speaking with my friend and colleague Trenton Tai, and we did a session on the emergency response from IT departments in healthcare IT in regard to the pandemic and showcased some hard data showing remote access usage by healthcare organizations across the world from 2019 before the pandemic through to the end of 2021. We've now shared some of that data online to share with everyone. And I'll share a link to that with this episode if you'd like to check it out, some very interesting data. And I'll share that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode, which is episode 221. WindowsCentral.com have reported that the latest Windows 11 preview build includes a tabs feature within Windows Explorer. These tabs have been coming to the likes of Windows Terminal and other dialogues for some time, so it's nice to see it coming to Explorer too. But it wasn't all good news for Explorer and Windows 11 this week though. The Verge reported that Microsoft appears to be testing a new type of ad inside File Explorer on Windows 11. Microsoft MVP Florian Baboy discovered an ad in the latest test build of Windows 11, which is quite worrying. Microsoft said that while the ads may appear for some Windows 11 users, it was a mistake. Brandon LeBlanc from Microsoft stated this was an experimental banner that was not intended to be published externally and was turned off. Hopefully this is something that Microsoft come to their senses on and they realize that now with this backlash just from this being mistakenly put out there, if it really was, uh, that this is a bad idea. Do not bring ads to Explorer, please. Nobody wants it. In some better Microsoft news this week, Microsoft released a scanner tool that detects micro-tick routers that are hacked by the TrickBot gang to act as proxies for command and control servers. According to BleepyComputer.com, in a new report by Microsoft, the TrickBot gang targeted these vulnerable routers using various methods to incorporate them as proxies for C2 communications. So if you happen to use this type of router, try running this free tool that Microsoft has created to make sure that yours is not being leveraged in nefarious attacks. The Windows 365 Enterprise Restore option is now in preview. It does say Windows 365 Enterprise, but then in the documentation uh, about this new feature, it just refers to Cloud PC. So I'm unsure at this time if this is also available for the business desktop. I hope it is. But essentially what the restore does is it allows you to restore your desktop or your Cloud PC to a certain point in time. So currently if you've used Cloud PC, there's a reset desktop option. And if you're using the business desktop, it's really bad because it basically wipes the entire desktop and creates a new one and everything is lost. That could be quite frustrating if you're troubleshooting the desktop and it's not coming up and you have no ability or visibility to actually troubleshoot that other than to reset the desktop. 
you don't have a choice you just reset it and you lose absolutely everything which is pretty terrible but now with the restore option you'll be able to restore it to a point in time over the last 4, 6, 12, 16 or 24 hours and each cloud PC will have 10 restore points saved at intervals that you define in the user settings. Microsoft warned that of course there's the same risks as using a restore on a regular Windows PC that includes all changes made to the cloud PC between the saved restore points and when you do the restore is going to be lost but that's obvious. Various applications, agents, and tools also using rolling passwords, secrets, certificates, and keys. Well, if any of these credentials are updated between the current time of the restore point, then the associated service or application will be impacted, uh, presumably by getting locked. And also the chances of data loss and automated machine account passwords updates increase with the longer time gaps between the selected restore point and the current time. Microsoft suggests to minimize data loss and the risk of rolling password conflict, you should choose a restore point that is as close as possible to the current time. And after a restoration is complete, the user should immediately sign into their cloud PC to verify that they can successfully connect. If a user can't connect or experiences unexpected behavior, try a second restoration to a different restore point that is more recent. On rare occasions, you may need to reprovision or reset a cloud PC if all restore points have obsolete rolling credentials. General availability of custom roles for delegated app management is now available for Azure customers. The announcement suggests that together, custom roles for app registration and enterprise apps provides fine-grained control over what access your admins have for app management. And as a reminder, Azure AD custom roles require an Azure AD Premium P1 subscription to use. Also now generally available is the filters feature in Microsoft Endpoint Manager. Filters can be used with apps, policies, and other Endpoint Manager workloads to achieve new granular targeting scenarios at lightning speed. Filters give IT admins more flexibility when managing a broad group of users, devices, and scenarios. Filters also help IT admins protect data within apps, simplify app deployments, and accelerate first-time device setup. The Register reported this week that a UK law firm has been fined £98,000 by the Information Commissioner's Office, or ICO, under Article 83 of the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, as the firm was hit by a hack and subsequent leak where the attackers leveraged a vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange Server. The firm patched the vulnerability in June 2020, but admitted the patch had been released in January that year, and the lawyer accepted that the attacker could have exploited it in that five-month period, the report states. The CVE score for that particular vulnerability was a 9.8 out of 10 and deemed critical. The ICO says the personal data in the bundles included special category data that related to vulnerable individuals such as children or those involved in significant crimes, which increased the severity of this particular infringement. The conclusion from the ICO was that the primary cause of the incident obviously rests with the ransomware criminal or criminals, yet an unpatched vulnerability gave the attacker a weakness to exploit and the serious nature of the personal data was such that it justified enforcement action. 
So several episodes ago, I covered a story in the United States with the U.S. government essentially warning that companies could be held responsible if they're not prompt with their patching and they get hacked. And it appears now in the U.K., this law firm that was hacked and had a data breach has been fined with special note made in the decision that not patching the vulnerability quick enough gave the attacker a weakness to exploit. So patch, 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 people. And a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news this week. But the new Citrix WEM UI is now available for all Citrix virtual apps and desktop customers in the cloud. Very quick one here, but Ubuntu Linux has now received a new logo. Pretty interesting that this week Microsoft revealed the future of hybrid work with Windows 11 webinar will be taking place on April 5th. It is speculated that this event may focus on multiple Microsoft products like Windows 365, Teams, Office 365, and more. It'll be interesting to see what the messaging is that comes out of that one. Also in an interesting piece this week by CNBC, the CEO of American Express stated that he expects the practice of remote work could actually lead to an increase in business travel as people working remotely will likely travel to work at the company's headquarters for a few days multiple times a year. The article then goes on to state that travel has begun to recover, at least in terms of bookings being made. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, a tip from Jordan Benzing. He asked on Twitter, did you know that VS Code has its own PowerShell profile path? It's microsoft.vscode underscore profile.ps1. And if you've got specific things you want to load into your integrated console for function logic, you could put them there. There is now a Udemy course on Power Automate that contains 121 videos over 12 hours with 15 plus use cases. And the creator stated that he's excited because 20% of the proceeds will be invested into buying laptops for the Nigerian data community. So Power Automate is pretty awesome. I struggle a little bit to use it because I'm kind of used to Automate and I feel like it's a more mature, more feature-rich RPA. But I could benefit from this course because it would probably teach me better ways to use the product and maybe others could too. Love Arvidsson shared a couple of really great blog posts this week. One was on using the global conditions and application deployments within Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager. So essentially using this for setting model requirements to target only certain models of devices. So if you want to get very granular on what you're deploying, maybe it's actual software that's specific to devices like software from manufacturers, then this is one you'll want to check out. Uh, but Love also posted on changing network adapter settings via configuration item baselines in MECM2, which that's a very useful one because you might want to do things like optimize the network adapter settings for Citrix, for example. So pretty good one to know as well. Yuri Lee tweeted some really useful tips saying that if you're trying to break into the tech industry, write a blog and states that writing a blog helps to share what you know or, or are currently learning, shows that you have soft skills and technical knowledge, shows your personality and the kind of person you are, 
and your passions. I couldn't agree more. And in particular, in the end user computing space, I feel like blogs are getting fewer and further between. It would be nice to see some new faces and hear some new voices or re read about them at least. So, yeah, I encourage blogging for sure. Nice one, Yuri. Steve Sifus had another excellent Twitter thread offering some advice in that when you decommission a domain controller, don't give your new domain controller the old server's name. And he goes into awesome detail and explains what happens when you do it wrong. So check that out. Damien Van Robes posted a feature request into Microsoft's feedback portal for Endpoint Analytics proactive remediation feature. He's requesting the ability to edit both detection and remediation scripts directly within the portal. If, you, if that's something that you would like to see too, upvote this in the feedback portal and I'll share a link to that with this episode. Kevin Beaumont suggested that Microsoft Teams now has end-to-end -end encryption of calls. However, it is optional and not enabled by default, which is bad. But now that you know, if you're listening to this, this is a setting that you should go out of your way to find and set. David Klee on Twitter shared his own PSA where he suggested don't pull your technical debt into the cloud if it's something that could be corrected before you move. I see this time and time again, and all it does is jack up your monthly cloud costs. So this is a point that I also made during my festive tech calendar session back in December. Um, I was specifically talking about the Windows 365 cloud PC use case and the practice that some organizations have of going back to just locally installed application packages, meaning deploying MSIs or set up DXCs or possibly having very large images because in Windows 365, you pay more for a larger desktop. So if you're trying to bring those large desktop images directly up to Windows 365, it's gonna cost you a fortune. But not only that, but for Azure Virtual Desktop, I know you can get cheaper disks, but don't bring those large images up to Azure Virtual Desktop either. Don't bring a bunch of applications locally installed that if not today already causing conflicts could potentially cause conflicts down the road. But this could apply to many different areas of desktop management or just IT management in general. Don't bring this old clunky way of doing things to the cloud because in the end it's just going to cost you one way or another. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening.